welcome to Unraveling Crypto, the podcast. I'm your host, Bonnie. If you're curious about Web3 but don't know where to start, you're in the right spot. I know how full your life is already, and I also know how much freedom this expansive space can offer. Each episode, we bring on Web3 experts to share what they love. Through easy conversation, we cover topics like financial literacy, blockchain, and how to use these in practical ways. It's not just about technology, but about who is building it and why it's being built. Welcome back, everyone. I had the lovely pleasure to chat with Christina Flynn, entrepreneur and content creator in Web3. Christina shared with us what intention and integrity have to do with diversity and inclusion in Web3, how creators can make money in the space aside from selling their art, and what decentralized media actually means. It was a really incredible and juicy conversation, so let's dive right on in. Hi, Christina. Welcome to Unraveling Crypto. It is such an honor to have you on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so um, just for a little context, I've actually been following you since I very first came into the space um, and was just trying to figure out what it was. And I come from a coaching background and you speak on a lot of topics that I just connect with, like mental health, inclusivity, diversity. So I'm really excited to have you on. Um, Before we get started, I always love to ask, um, what are you grateful for at this moment? I'm grateful for a lot. I've had um, a very interesting (laughs) um, read, very shitty four months, um, Mm. just with family, issues and losing people and, um, you know, just struggling with my own mental health. And I think it's always, you know, grounding to come back to a place where those things give you perspective. And so I'm grateful to have a roof over my head. I'm grateful to have found Web3. I'm grateful to have a wife and two healthy kids that are a lot of fun. Um, So yeah, I'm trying to lead with gratitude lately. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that about your family. And yeah, thank you for just being open um, and honest here. Another question that I love to lead with is what's your superpower? So that gift or that thing that comes to you most naturally and you don't even think about it. I think there's probably two, but I think they're related. So my superpower is definitely that I have ADHD. And I was diagnosed later in life. So I was diagnosed at 35, mm-hmm. which, you know, is not easy. Um, but what I've realized is that it's given me a lot of coping mechanisms and strategies um, mm-hmm. to be able to like, just be able to show up in a world that isn't for predominantly neurodiverse people. Um, and so Web3 is kind of like the perfect example of that. It's, I found it, it, the dopamine hit immediately. And I was like, I need to be here. I want to spend all my time here. And I went on like a good four or five month binge, um, just trying to learn and absorb everything that I possibly could. So that is for sure my biggest superpower. And I think because of that, because I know a little about a lot of things, I have an easier time connecting with folks and like building relationships um, and really just like listening and learning about people's experiences. Yeah, well, I absolutely love this because I think 
I've personally been told an old story where it's like you need to just master one thing and just stay in it or what we've been told is go to school and you can't ever change careers. And that's really powerful to see you owning that and just being an example for others to just say like, hey, we can pivot or we can know a little bit about everything and and still be and still make it however that. Yeah. And, that. and I wouldn't say that that was an easy road either. I had, you know, a very similar upbringing that. I, you know, wanted to be a lawyer and it was just get a job and go to school for a while, get a job, and then you'll have like the opportunities. And I think what we've realized is that like the world has changed at a pace that no longer were the well wishes of our parents or whoever raised us um, the same. And my parents, my mom was a teacher and my dad was a public servant. And it was like, get the job, stay in the job forever. So when it came to me, it was like, but I don't want to do that. And I don't want to live like that. And so I was still very much in this position of like feeling like I wasn't meeting the expectations or that I didn't have the flexibility to do that. So I think it's a work in progress. And I like to be honest about that. It's a lot of people look at my life and think it's, a, you know, that's a nightmare, but it works for me. And, and I'm trying to find a way to have it, have other folks know that it's, it is possible. And web three especially makes that possible. Yeah. So Tell us a little bit about you and what you do in Web3 and um, and then we can go from there. Sure. Yeah. So I've been in Web3. I should say my pronouns are she, her. I've been in Web3 now since May of 2021. Um, I found it by way of Gary Vee. So I'm an entrepreneur. I've been following Gary Vee for a very long time. Came across a specific podcast with him and Kevin Rose at the time. It was called Modern Finance. And Gary was just talking about all of the specific use cases that he saw for Web3. And in that moment, my very non-traditional career where I spent some time in professional sports and then I spent some time in philanthropy and social impact and I became a tech founder all of those things, it began to line up, like the potential and the use cases, whether that was like, you know, tickets for the NBA or real estate or, you know, technology and, and data and identity and ownership. All the uses just became very apparent to me. And I remember I, I like ran out of the bathroom. I was like listening to it in the bathroom. I ran out, I like grabbed my wife and I was like, this is fucking huge. Like this is going to be massive. And at that point, you know, dopamine, I was gone. But um, yeah, I, I had this very clear moment of, I really do have conviction that this is going to be the next iteration of the internet. And mm -hmm. what a pleasure and what a privilege to be here at those very initial and beginning stages. Yeah. And what was that one thing that really captivated you and you went down the rabbit hole? I think it just was, it was the use cases. Um, I think it was that it was just so clear to me that no matter what was going to happen in the future, this was going to be an ever present piece of technology. And with that, regardless of, you know, the skills that I had from my other work or the skill, like, I don't need to be an artist. I don't need to be a creator. I can come into the space. I can learn about it. I can collect. I traded for a little while. So I had, you know, the high of like buying something and then selling it afterwards. I think it was just like most likely the learning. I love learning. I'm a very curious person. And this was something that I didn't know anything about. Like, and the example that I always give to folks in terms of crypto is I was so new and I had never bought crypto before. I called my bank and I'm like in Canada 
And I'm like, I'm like looking to try to get crypto and I don't know how to get it. And I'm looking on the website and I don't know how to buy it. And they were like, yeah, no, you can't do that here. It's like, that's not, you don't make the purchase of crypto, first of all, via phone. And second of all, like on the internet through your bag. Um, but that's like how new I was. I knew nothing about blockchain or the ability to, you know, trade and sell digital assets. None of it. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a long way. So how would, like, what would you say has been your experience so far um, in this space in Web3? I mean, it's been good. I think that, again, it's new and it's different and it's it's exciting every day. I think I've really found my niche when I first came into the space, even though it wasn't that long ago of May 2021, there wasn't a lot of women in the space and there certainly wasn't a lot of underrepresented people. And when I came in and saw that I was one of very few people that weren't an artist and, and wasn't a creative in, a, in the tr traditional sense that I knew it, um, I struggled to figure out like what was my place and, and what would that look like. And I realized over time that like my passion for diversity and inclusion, I'm a queer woman, I'm neurodiverse, I struggle with mental illness. So I have many intersections myself and I can use my experience, but also the work that I've done in community and community engagement um, to just be able to draw awareness towards it. What are the things that I'm seeing? What's my experience of the space? call out some of the things that, you know, people aren't necessarily comfortable calling out and, you know, just letting people know that we're in a really critical time. If we're early in this space, that means that we have to be advocates for this kind of work. And if we're not advocates for this kind of work, we're going to really repeat a lot of the same mistakes and the, and the structures of oppression that led most of us to run away from Web2. So I don't want it again. <laughs> I don't want to deal yeah. with it again. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what you're saying is really powerful because I, I say like we're shaping this technology and shaping the future of it. And it would be such a shame to kind of repeat the same patterns and repeat the same stories. And this is our opportunity to create a new path. So what would you say are your values? What do you hold true for you? I mean, I, I think for me, my my values, the one thing I keep going back to lately is is integrity, but also intention. Um, I'm, I'm recently undergoing a rebranding of my agency and calling it intentional. And that's because in this last year in this space with the work that I'm doing, I've been doing the people that I've been engaging with that to me seems to be the biggest differentiator between those that want to see a diverse and equitable web three and those that don't it's, are you intentionally going out and doing it? You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to, you know, say that I've got it all figured out. Nobody is expecting that. What they're expecting is like, where are your intentions at? And you can also, you know, we can do things and we can make mistakes by still having good intentions. But ultimately, that's been the biggest differentiator between the companies, the people, the influencers, the projects that either do or don't give a shit. So I'd say that's one of my big values lately. And then having integrity. Um, it's very easy. And I, I tell people a lot in this space, like you should spend some time initially thinking about what your values are thinking about like what are the things that you want to accomplish in this space it doesn't mean it can't change it doesn't mean it's not evolving but things are happening so quickly 
that if you don't have that strong sense of like, this is what I'm here to do and these are the values I'm gonna do it with, you can get distracted. But you can also get blinded by opportunity that maybe isn't values aligned, maybe isn't something that you would do otherwise, but perhaps the money is something that you need or whatever it is. Um, I think it's just being really clear about those values. So I love that question. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. And, and again, I, I love um, asking this because I think from our values is where we really just show up and everything else just comes from there. Um, what would you say? I hear a lot of people that are interested in Web3, but the roles are shifting. Nothing is really like it's not really that. I mean, you can't your skills to transfer, but the roles in itself, um, it's kind of like an uncertain road that were uncharted territory really what's the difference between what you've done in web 2 versus what you're doing web 3. i mean there's a lot right um that's a tough question to break down and i think it's so dependent on what people have done in web 2 and then what they intend to do in web 3. i think the one thing that i say to folks a lot is that a little bit about what you were talking about if this is the next iteration of the internet then that means that this will be and permeate every single thing we do in society that could take five years 10 years 20 years we don't know but i think what i try to encourage people with is that because of that Every skill that you have, every skill that you've attained prior to coming into Web3 is and will be needed. Project management, accounting, legal, creative, whatever it is, you are welcomed here because this is going to permeate every single bit of society. Um, and so I think that's the, the main point that I always try to get across. I mean, the big differences for me in terms of just like day-to-day -day operations, the speed, the speed is incredible. Like, and if you talk to most people in the space, and I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, like I got here May, 2021, everyone knows the date that they got here because we're constantly going like, holy shit. It feels like I've been here five years and I've only been here like 18 months. Like it's the space is something I'm like every anything I've ever experienced before. And I've worked in tech and I've worked in pro sports. Like those are very fast paced industries. Um, there is like there can be a perception of rules when you get here and like codes and conventions. But I think ultimately like those, those are perceptions, right? Like those rules are not written by anyone. Those rules are not like, they don't have to stand up against anyone. There are realities and boundaries that people have to face when they come here in terms of, you know, building their brand or getting their story out or being able to attain work. But at the end of the day, uh, the structures and the, like the systematic, um, day-to-day -day operations that most people would find in a, in a web two job don't really exist here. So you have to do a lot of advocating for yourself. You have to make sure that um, you're being aware of the risks when getting involved in companies that don't want to sign a contract and just kind of like to float away and say, let's just do it. This is web three. It's yeah. just about advocating for yourself and determining like, what is your risk appetite when you're engaging in these kinds of activities? Yeah. And you mentioned, which is so true, like the space, I mean, the space moves so fast. And what would you say, um, like, what's the great place? What's, oh my God, I can't talk. What's a great place for people to start um, when getting into crypto? I mean, I came in by way of 
Gary Vee. And the reason that I came in by way of Gary Vee is because they did a really great job on educating folks in an approachable way. So the way that they created content around actually getting a wallet or even though they told buying crypto and I obviously didn't pay attention, you can't call it in. Um, they created approachable content that really started at the bare bones of like, what is blockchain? What is crypto? Then getting into NFTs, I think it's very easy to jump in and go like, okay, I see this happening. People are trading digital assets. If you're an artist, you're like, I need to create and then I need to put mint this thing and I need to sell it. There's a lot to learn. And I think the value of starting really slowly, not getting ahead of yourself, figuring out what your values are and really like taking some time with it will allow you to not jump in and then all of a sudden be, I guess, just like obliged to follow the speed that everyone else is, is following without having the foundations or the framework of like, how do you want to operate in this space and what do you want to do? Um, so finding those content creators that are really talking in an approachable way and just realizing that patience is really important. <laughs> and like, you don't even have to have a ton of patience in this space because the learning curve, while it can be steep, you can find content that diminishes that. But also it just happens so quickly. Like you could be in a Twitter space, which is where a lot of conversations happen and be listening to somebody and think like, oh my gosh, they know everything. I know nothing. What am I going to do? And I'm constantly trying to remind people like that person got here three weeks ago. Like that's how quickly this stuff happens. That's how quickly people are learning. You jump in one day and you know nothing. And within a week, three weeks, two months, you have a very good lay of the land. So just give yourself that time um, to be able to experiment and learn and be curious about the different aspects of it. Yeah. Now, looking back at your journey, like what mistakes did you make? Or not mistakes, but perhaps oh my God. what would you say? Like, so hey, many. <laughs> like maybe a few or a couple that you say, hey, I think this is my lesson. Yeah. Um, where do we begin? I learned so many lessons. The first lesson that I learned, um, not being aware of like, because I was new to crypto, everything I basically just said about being patient and taking time and learning, like I didn't do any of it. None of it. I jumped right in. I, yes, I did learn like the fundamentals from, from the friends community, but then I like, I got a hit and the, after I bought my first NFT, I like did ridiculous things in terms of buying, uh, in terms of like using money that I didn't have, using money that was really high risk and not understanding that like this is a moment in time and not understanding market dynamics. I never traded stocks. I, I don't have a good understanding and didn't have a good understanding of like basic fundamentals of, of finances and what that looks like and how they can be applied here. Um, I was just going a lot based on like dopamine really and excitement and it seemed really good and really great i was fortunate in that when i got involved in trading there was a point in time where i said like i need to take profits like this isn't sustainable and i need to be able to you know make back the money that i had put in but that you know that was like borrowed money that was like a line of credit like i was very dumb um i was able to take it back but there's a lot of people that didn't have that same opportunity and so now i'm in a position where i'm not gambling 
essentially I was gambling and I was like high off a gamble because I was buying and selling. And it was like transactions are relatively simple on blockchain, right? Like, so I got really excited about that and I was gambling. And then I got to this position where I was able to take a step back, thankfully, and say, it's time to get smart about this and, and not be gambling all the time. And then what do I actually want to do? Like, what's the value I want to bring to this space? What's the value I can bring to this space? Yeah. Yeah. I think many of us have a similar story. I didn't sell too much. I actually held because I'm like, maybe it's going to go to the moon or maybe. And and I do look back and the same as you. I say, maybe hold that money that um, and not not be so like out there and giving the money because FOMO, because this is going to be the next thing or, you know, anything that you think that is going to make you rich quick is probably not. And it's like a red flag. So yeah, if, yeah. It, if you feel FOMO, in that minute, like that's your moment to step away. Like, because if you're feeling FOMO, it's already gone. The opportunity has passed. And like, you're operating then based on like an addictive gambling personality versus like, when I now assess what I'm going to buy, I look at the team and I assess like I were like a startup investor to say, this is money. I'm putting this into a vision and a mission. And do I believe that if I give these folks my money, that they're going to be able to accomplish what they say they're going to be able to accomplish? Um, and that's like a much different outlook and, and look at like a, a, an opportunity financially, if that's the way that you're trading and that's the, the way that you're doing it, that's how you should be making those decisions. I think I also spent a lot of time, I realized that I cared a lot about diversity and inclusion, but I actually wasn't applying that to how I was collecting. I was collecting based on this like gambling mentality and took a step back to say like, I talk about these things all the time, but if somebody were to look at my collection, it's not representative of the values that I hold. And so I put it out there to people to say like, I don't know exactly, this was very early. You, there's tons of lists now, like please don't ask where you can find underrepresented people. But at the time there wasn't a lot. And I put it out there to say like, I want my collection to be representative of the values that I hold. And I want to be collecting from not just projects run by white cis straight men. I want to be collecting from individual one-on-one -on -one artists from a variety of different mediums around different places in the world. And I think that was an initial, another initial mistake that I made that I was thankfully able to correct. Yeah. Yeah. That, so, I mean, for me too, when I came in, I think one of the, I guess, areas of growth of the space is that I definitely didn't see a lot of diversity and it just, it was male dominated, white male dominated. So um, what are the, the areas of growth that you see in the crypto space? I mean, I've definitely seen a lot more women and underrepresented people come into the space. So that's positive. What I have seen is um, a, a greater understanding of the fact that an NFT does not have to be a 10K PFP project. There are a variety of different ways that it exists right now, and it will exist in the future. But for right now, like a digital asset can be a one of one. It can be a one of one with an addition launch with it. It can be a photographer. It can be AI, generative art. Um, there's so many different components and applications if you just look at how this exists in the art world um, and what is that new art world for creators. So I think that advancement and seeing it 
become more diverse in terms of like the skill sets also and the mediums that are being I wouldn't say that they're being entirely accepted. There's a lot of, you know, controversy around what is and what isn't art. Um, but the the dialogue is happening and that's important and people are are selling. I think the things that despite the fact that there more there are more diverse people in the space, we are still seeing very similar st- statistics surrounding who is selling. And there's only about 5% of women that are actually in comparison to to men, um, if we're looking at the binary, that are actually selling um, when you look at the statistics. And the large portion of that 5% is concentrated among a very small group of women, tending to be white women. Um, And so that is something that definitely needs to change. Um, The boundaries that are associated with people from underrepresented backgrounds, they're big, like they're really, really big. But I think the people and the the conversation is at least happening. Whereas when I came into the space, it wasn't happening at all. And that's really encouraging to see. And now it's a matter of like expanding the awareness around some of these lived experiences and realities for folks. And then being able to, to give actionable insights and, and tips and tools and tricks that people can use to be more intentional about how they're being diverse and inclusive. Yeah. And I think that, what would you say, where could people start? I think this is a true question, like specifically like current, like um, creators and current businesses in the space, where can they start to perhaps understand or learn more about diversity and inclusivity? Like what steps should they take to not only learn, but take action? Yeah. I mean, the first step I'll always go to is the intention part, right? Um, you either do or you don't. This isn't like a, a dipping the toe situation. This is like you are making a commitment and the understanding that you don't have to have it all figured out. The understanding that your curiosity and how you as an ally or you as another underrepresented person want to show up for underrepresented people in the space, like that's an intentional action. Um, and so that's where I would start of, do you want to do this work? Knowing that this work isn't always comfortable and this work isn't always um, you know, glamorous by any means. And you don't always have support from people, but it's what, it, what's your intent? What do you want to do? The next place that I tell people is really around like that allyship piece. And for me, the two things that an ally should do before they do anything else in the space is first to just stop talking and start listening. And by that, I mean, show up in spaces in Twitter spaces, listen to podcasts, engage in, you know, IRL events with people that are not like you, with people that are underrepresented and have different lived experiences than you. And don't talk while you do it. Just listen. Just listen to what their day-to-day looks like. Listen to some of the challenges. Listen to what their dreams and their goals are and the objectives and opportunities that they see for themselves. Because I think on top of that intention, it's really about having empathy for one another and having empathy for each other's lived experiences, knowing that every single one of us is different. Like two black women don't have the same lived experiences. It's something we always want to categorize. Um, and so that's, that's the first place. And the second place I would start is, is really just by taking some time again 
to reflect on your own privilege. So now you've heard about other people's experiences and you've listened. You haven't felt the need to stand up and talk and say, I'm here as an ally. What can I do? Um, Don't do that. (laughs) But know that you have privilege. Know that almost all people in the world have privilege of some sort. And there's intersections, right? Like that's not to say that you can't have privilege in one area and have it in other areas, right? That could be a, you know, a mixed individual that is white presenting that's able to show up into spaces and code switch as we talk about there's so many different levels that could be socioeconomic status it could be education whatever it is um, know that you have some privilege and now that you've listened to the lived experiences of other people taking some time to reflect on where is that privilege and what does that privilege get me? How do I have access to things just because of the color of my skin, just because of my gender, just because of how I show up in the world on the day to day? People treat me differently than other people that don't have those same levels of privilege. And once you do that, I think that's like the added take on the empathy and the understanding From there, it's about saying like, how do I then share and give that privilege to other people? Like it's a matter of you've got it, now you gotta pay it forward. And so when I think about myself, I think about you know my education and my network and my ability to connect with people means that I know a lot of people and I know and I have a lot of access to a large network of people that can support other underrepresented folks. Now, I don't like lend my network to people like or my privilege, I give it to people. If I have a platform and I want to bring underrepresented people into that platform, it's not a, this is mine, here it is. It's a like, this is yours. Do with it what you will. You know what's best that's going to serve your needs best. Um, And so I think it's about thinking then how can you extend your access, your exposure and your privilege to other people? Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I... I'm going to have to listen back to this because this is super powerful. And I think many of us really, um, it's, it's just moments to contemplate and sit with and, and then know what the next step to take. Yeah. And you're going to hear it. Like the listening part is going to tell you like, so you don't have to stand up in a Twitter space and say, I'm an ally. Like, what do I do? I think we forget about the fact that like, by simply asking that question, like you're, putting the imposition on people that are marginalized and people that are oppressed to first explain their oppression in some cases, but then also give you the information as to how you can help them. It's like completely backwards and ironic in a sense, but it's oftentimes what people do, which is why I I go first with the like, stop talking. Because if you listen and you spend the time, you're going to start hearing those answers, but you need to spend the time and you need to not ask people to like make that make that journey shorter for you, which is essentially what that's doing. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think this, this is a universal too, where it's like, if you listen, you'll get, you'll get the answers, you know, to everything that that you're asking for. And it's actually investing the time that, you know, you're. There's no shortcuts. And that's why the intention piece is like so important. And this, like, there's no ending. Like if you're going to be an ally, you start seeing everything differently. And that can be intimidating, of course, but like, yeah, it is, (laughs) it is. And like, you're privileged to be able to have that level of intimidation and not have to live it every day. Um, So yeah. 
Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate you for, for sharing these words. Um, I, I want to pivot a little bit and ask you about your projects and what you're currently working on and what's exciting you at the moment. Yeah, so I talked about my agency a little bit. So we're um, a, a Web3 brand and storytelling agency. And basically what we're trying to do is use that ability for an artist or a creator who is underrepresented to better understand how they can sell themselves and sell their work within the space. So a lot of them are incredibly talented people. And it could be a, a spectrum of folks that have like done gallery exhibits across the world, have been represented by massive agencies and, you know, I've sold at Sotheby's. And then there's folks that went down the route that we talked about earlier and became a lawyer because it wasn't available to them to explore art as a career. And now we're finding this opportunity to do that. So the, the talents and the skill level on top of the art, which is like the marketing, the branding, the understanding how to tell your story in a way that creates human connection. Um, that's the stuff that I get really excited about because it's a lot of the work that I did when I was in the NBA with professional athletes. So I, I'm bringing that skill here. And I think there's big value in being able to understand how to do that um, and how to show up, how to build community in a different way. Like, as you said, Web2 is different, right? Like it was, it was very much a competitive economy. It was very much like extractive. You give me something and I'll give you something in exchange. But oftentimes that wasn't a balanced exchange. Whereas Alexis Ohanian talks a lot about the community economy and how Web3 enables like true collaboration and enables folks to have a value exchange with one another versus just this like extractive transactional relationship. Um, so helping underrepresented artists to, to understand the context of all those things and then also helping them to understand like what are their opportunities for income aside from just art. So the idea that, you know, Web2 companies are coming into Web3, the fact that we're here early is a very big privilege. And just by being here, if you did nothing in this space, which nobody does, but just by being here, the osmosis and the expertise you have gained from any extended period of time in the space is valuable to companies that are coming in and is valuable in terms of con consultation, advisory, collaborations with artists. And so setting up the structures that allows Web2 communities and Web2 organizations to be able to benefit from the expertise as well as the artistry uh, of the folks that we represent is what gets me really excited because we're in a bear market, right? And you're not going to sell every day. And you may not be able to, for the rest of your life, depend on one income source of your artistry. So what are the other ways that you can make money in this space aside from that? And one of those is by acknowledging that you have a very big skill set that like very few people in the world have. Like if we really look at the numbers, very, very few people in the world have that expertise. And so that's valuable. And understanding that valuable and knowing that you can charge for that, it's okay to charge for that. It's okay to make money off that. And that's something I'm learning myself as I go. Like it's not something that's easy for a lot of people. Um, I think it's something that it, it opens up a lot of potential for underrepresented creators in the space. And with that comes the opportunity for them to have access to the financial freedom that we're seeing a lot of other people get in this space. Yeah, um, I absolutely love this. And I, I think what it reminds me 
of is Web3 is a mindset shift. I think that we come in with Web2, like you said, we want to come in and we want to create or we want to do, and it's perhaps taking a pause to see like, hey, how was I creating? What was I doing in Web2? And how is this differently? And what am I really wanting to bring to the table? And also expand avenues like of how to make money. And I think this is a level playing field where a lot can be done. And that's really, that's really cool. I love your agency. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, we, um, we're in the midst of rebranding, so I don't have a, a direct line to send people, but we are going to be, um, we are going to be on Twitter at, um, at BF intentional, be fucking intentional is, um, kind of our tagline. And, um, we're just going to be, you know, out there a lot more, but in the meantime, following me at Flynn Christina, uh, with a K is, is the best way to get that information. Great. I'll add, um, I'll add you, your, your links and everything so people can follow you, but, um, you're also on, so I want to know a little bit more about Rug Radio. I've seen, I, I, this has been going around a lot and um, are you a host within the ecosystem? And tell yeah. me a little bit. Yeah, so the easiest way to look at Rug Radio is that they're a decentralized media company. And what that means is that kind of what we were talking about earlier with that competitive economy versus community economy. Web2 media was, I give you the platform. So that's, you know, YouTube, that's IG, that's Spotify. I give you the platform in exchange. You give me all of your data and you give me all of your content and I can do with it what I will. And I'll pay you cents on the royalties based on what I'm getting. So a, an artist, an average stream of one song for a musician on Spotify equals about 0.003 to 0.005 on the dollar. That's what they earn. And you know, the YouTube stats on creators is, is really poor as well. The way that this shifts with decentralized media is that it's that more of that community economy. So there are the creators themselves, which I'm one of, which are doing content creation, like writing um, and building the content for the media company. The only way your media company is if you're actually distributing content. So some of that are doing that by hosting Twitter spaces, um, which I do as well on a variety of different topics to appeal to a variety of different people in the space. Um, and not always, like I never would have considered myself a creator or created before I even came here. So it's not like it's for a specific type of person. It's like, are you interested in talking about something and do, does that bring value to the community? Yes. And so there's a value exchange that happens there where everything that I create Everything that I do, whether that's hosting spaces or showing up at IRL events, um, whatever it is, I'm rewarded in the form of their token. The other way that there's community economy is that the members of the community, so they sold the NFT and people purchase that NFT and that makes them members in this ecosystem, these, this decentralized ecosystem, which allows them to determine, we talked about, or we didn't talk about DAO yet, but DAO decentralized autonomous organization. It's essentially decision by committee versus decision by executive. So if I am a member now of Rug Radio, 
based on how many NFTs that I own, I have access to be able to make decisions and vote on the trajectory of certain aspects of the business, the trajectory on the money and the treasury that they hold that allows them to give back funding to community members to be able to do the things that they hope will proliferate the community itself. So I think I'm being a little bit confusing there, but essentially the basics is that like it's, it's decision by committee. You you're allowed to participate in that decision making. If you buy a membership, this membership is in the form of an NFT. And if on top of membership, you are providing value back to the actual uh, community and ecosystem itself, then there's a rewarding system for that as well. Yeah. And I mean, I think most of us will relate or if you know if you're coming from Web2 and you're creating or you want to build a business, I think this is an incredible or even if you just want to do something on the side too, like this is a powerful way to really think. And the way that you explained it actually is really interesting. Um, I haven't heard it and I, I love that because I, I think it simplifies, um, especially what DAOs are and how we can work as a community. Um, so the last one of the last points that I want to ask and touch upon are mental health and, well, mental health, technology and also money. I think that um, personally, I've, I've, you know, financially, how I grew up, that was a really big part of how my family and I felt and how we dealt with things. And now we're also facing how technology can be, can impact us. So I want to know your experience and your thoughts on this. Can you frame it in a different way? I'm not sure if I fully understand. Yeah. So how have you, um, how can we find balance, for example, with technology? Related to mental health. Okay, I understand. Um, It's hard. It's very hard. And most people in Web3, like it's an ongoing joke and it's like, I participate in that joke as well. Like I, we are not doing a good job of balancing. And I think that Web3 and the very early folks within it, it it is called attention to a very specific kind of person. And that person is very curious. And that person does want to like put their all into things, um, whether that's trading, whether that's buying and selling art, whether that's creating art, it's called attention to very specific people and a, and a similarity among all of us is that we're not doing a good job in balancing the 24 seven access, the global market that is NFTs and web three, um, the opportunities, whether that's financial or the risks, whether that's financial or mental health. So I think it's a very real thing. I think it's going to, and, and will grow over time in terms of its risks because of the fact that it's ever present. And so you really have to be, and I've had to really be responsible for myself Um, because nobody else is going to do it for you, which is just like the one-on-one of mental health, unfortunately. Um, Having a support system, having a toolbox of resources and, and things that you use to cope is important, of course. But at the end of the day, I can sit here and I can tell you, I've been fortunate and privileged to have had a psychiatrist since I was 12 years old. And I've had over the years, and as my mental health and mental illness has manifested in different ways, whether that was like anxiety and depression or eating disorders or obsessive compulsive disorder to then like this ADHD diagnosis later on, 
I've built coping mechanisms and I can tell you exactly what I need to do, but that does not mean I do it at all. (laughs) You know, it does not mean that because I've had access to those things my entire life that like, I've got it all figured out. I know what to do. I think it's about like trying to know and understand that you can have all the answers, but that doesn't mean that intangibly you're going to go out and do it. You really have to take control of it. And also realizing like it doesn't have to be an all or nothing thing, right? Like you can have a really shitty day and not mean it's going to be a shitty week. You can have a shitty hour in a day and not mean it's going to be a shitty day. Um, so really try, I try to look at things not so my mind tends to want to go to the all or nothing. And I don't think it needs to be that way. Um, and I try to remind myself that it doesn't need to be that way, but also just have grace in whatever way I can with myself too. Like self-compassion is not something that I is a strong suit of mine. Like I'm, no one is going to be a, a worse critic of me than me. And that has helped me in a lot of ways in life. But as I've gotten older and as I've built a family, it's like, it's incredibly toxic as well. So just realizing that like, it's the, it's a journey with no end. Like every time I think I have it sorted out, I don't. Something smacks me in the face in life that I wasn't expecting and completely ruins my routine or completely like puts a boundary in front of whatever coping mechanism I was using. So just having that understanding, knowing it's not perfect, knowing it's really fucking messy a lot of times, but that, you know, there's there's no other option. Like it's either you take control of your life or you let it control you. And the choice for me is I need to take control of it. How I do that and what that looks like is different every day. Mm-hmm. But as long as I'm doing it, as long as I'm trying, um, then I'm at least setting myself up for better success if, as if I wasn't. Yeah. And we, this reminds me a little bit of what I do is just like one step at a time too, where it's like, just what's the next step that I need to do? And like, what can I do at this very moment? And it's so hard. Like you said, it's so hard to say like, I know, you know, I know I need to do all of these things. And sometimes I don't. And it's just being compassionate with, with, with where you're at. Um, I want to read a few tweets that I, I just, I really appreciate that you share it. For example, it's like mental health in NFTs 101. Don't wait until 4 p.m. to eat lunch today. And and it's so true. And you, you share these um, type of tweets. And I, I just find them to be great reminders because we can be so involved in what we're doing and passionate. We forget to take care of ourselves sometimes. Yes. Um, yeah. I'm guilty of it. Like, And so the interesting, everything I tweet is something I need a reminder of. So every, like I tweet in the morning, something kind of like that I need a reminder of, or that's inspirational or that like, I think I need to hear. Um, the same goes with my mental health tweets. The same goes with the inclusion tweets. It's like my excuse to put out my own daily reminders, but I just do it from my account. Cause I believe like maybe somebody else will find value in it as well. Um, but yeah, it's all like, it's very easy to look at people and be like, they have it all figured out. And it's like, I'm doing that for me. Like that's, I need to be reminded of those things. Cause my wife will bring me lunch at 4 PM. If I haven't fucking eaten yet. Like I'm fortunate that I have her cause she makes sure that I'm fed. But like a lot of us, the comments, if you, if you had a chance to read the comments to that tweet was hilarious. Like it really resonated with people, which goes to the fact that there's a lot of us that are quite similar in this space. Okay. So 
we're wrapping up and I um, want to just ask you what's one takeaway that you can share right now with anyone that wants to come in and learn more about Web3 or wants to just dive right on it? I think for me, like just know that there's a place for you here. I think that it won't be immediately apparent to all people where their place is and what their value is and why they're here. But I think the point that I made earlier of if this is the next iteration of the internet, this will permeate every aspect of our lives, which means that if you have any skill from any industry, let alone your own lived experiences and, and the skills and knowledge you bring from that, like you are welcomed here and you will find a place. Um, and I think trying not to, so going with that intention in mind, I think is important. And then the other part of, which is what we also talked about earlier, it's easy to come into the space and be like, I'm not technical. I don't know about blockchain. I don't know about crypto. I don't know about finances. All of these things that I experienced myself, which is why I, I can say this to me, like that's not, you don't need those skills to be here. You need a curiosity and an understanding of the fact that it's going to take some time to like really truly get the obvious complexity of this space, but you do not need to be technical to be here. You will figure that out. You do not need to know everything about financial markets and stocks and how that correlates to, you know, the whatever. I won't even, I can't even say the words because I don't even know the words like finances finances, money stuff. You don't need to know it all um, to come into the, the space and, and to be a part of it and to really be a part of the early growth of it. All of that can be learned. All of that can be understood. And so having that curiosity and having that understanding that like it's a, it's a process, but you belong here, I think is something that is really important for me to have people now. I love that because I think it happened to me and it happens to a lot of my friends that come in. They just don't know where they fit. And um, this is just a perfect example of just you can learn everything else and just bring just come in um, and yeah. experiment, like test it out, go to different spaces, follow different people. When you find people that you like, see who they follow. Like there will be moments where you kind of get a groove of like, I'm seeing a bit of a micro community over here and I really love that, but I also love this micro community over here. You're going to test places and you're going to go into spaces that don't feel safe and you don't feel like you belong, which is a great signal for you to get the hell out of there and go back to the places where you do feel like you belong. So the worry is always that somebody comes in and their first experience is with those spaces or with those communities that don't allow them to feel that physical or emotional safety. Um, but know that if that happens as your first experience, like please trust that there are other places. So fine, follow me, follow me, follow you. Like start there if this is a conversation that you've enjoyed and then see where we spend our time, see where are the communities that we engage um, and just know that you'll figure it out. It doesn't need to be perfect. Like it's an experimentation as well. Yeah, we're all learning as we go in, yeah. I, in nobody life, knows but anything yeah, yeah. They, they haven't figured out they're fucking lying it's not true Red nobody flag. knows what's going to happen in two weeks from now let alone like no. two years yes so this last part i call it lightning round and i just uh ask you a series of questions and you just answer with the first cool. first thing that Let's goes do it 
All right. Um, First one. What's your favorite book? Ooh, The Giver. One piece of advice to give to the world right now. Be intentional. Your go-to drink? Oh, an old-fashioned bourbon whiskey. (laughs) One thing you cannot stand. Oh, my gosh. One thing I cannot stand. I don't like... I'm Canadian, based in Toronto, Canada. And I don't like when I'm in the US, when I say thank you, and the response is, mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> okay, this is hilarious. What do you value most right now? I really, really value my support system because I've had to get better at asking for help and more comfortable asking for help. And my mother-in-law just left here this morning after spending two days with us, so mm-hmm. yeah. Your favorite place on earth? Hawaii, Maui. And what do you love most about yourself? I think I love, I love my ability to connect with people and have conversations because I always learn a lot. And I, my thing is like, I love dope people doing dope shit. So if I can connect two dope people doing really great things and they can then help each other and collaborate and, you know, have that level up in that first connection or first meeting. Like that's, that's the dream. That's what I love. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. Where can people hang out with you? Um, Where are you mainly at? Twitter. I live on Twitter right now at Flynn Christina, um, Christina with a K and yeah, uh, that's the best place to find me. But I'm at Flynn Christina on every platform, Instagram, LinkedIn, all them, TikTok, but I haven't gone there yet. So that'll yeah. be in time. <laughs> With time. Okay. Thank you very much. And um, I can't, I can't, I'll share all the links and everything that is needed. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for tuning in. I so appreciate you being here. My intention with this podcast is to empower you to walk into another world feeling confident. Through powerful conversations, we can build this bridge together. If you love this conversation, please leave a review on iTunes. And if you're feeling extra generous, share this episode with a friend who's curious too. To stay connected, find me on Twitter and IG at Vibes. See you next week when we unravel a little bit more.